I feel the Holy Spirit as I just begin to speak this morning, and I don't always say that, but I truly believe in the topic of thanksgiving. And I'm very confident that as we turn to God's Word and we share that this morning, people in this room, this message is going to be for you. People in Capity, it's going to speak right into your spirit this morning, and I want you to lift your faith. Can you do that? Send the person next to you say, I'm really pumped. Just tell them I'm really pumped. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Last week was our staff retreat week in the life of Arise. Not the week that's just been, but the week before that. And we always fly our staff together from the different cities of Arise Church. And for one week, or really from Tuesday to Thursday, we spend a few days hanging out, planning the year that is to come, and rekindling that sense of family. We run as a church at about a million miles an hour, and so regularly it's important that we insert pause moments when we say, hey, remember, this person's not just an email address. They're a person, they're a family, we're a team, we're a community. And I want to tell you that our staff retreat is one of the most spiritual moments in our calendar year. It's also one of the most incredibly funny moments of our calendar year. As I go back through the various staff retreats, I'll never forget moments like when we were in Taupo, staying at a campsite, and we decided that Ben Kendrew, who's been a staff member of Arise Church for a little while, we discovered that because he was a Salvation Army boy, he'd been a committed soldier, but in their theology had never been baptized. And we decided, well, rather than baptizing him in a church service, which is kind of embarrassing when you're a pastor in the church... Uh, um, by the way, I'm so grateful to Pastor Church that isn't getting hung up on little things, but looking at the major things. Do you know Jesus? He on fire for him. He ticked all those boxes. We never thought to ask him, hey, have you ever been baptized? So we decided at Staff Retreat, it'd be a great moment to baptize Ben Kendrew. So at about 12 o'clock at night, after a great prayer meeting, we took him down to Lake Taupo and baptized him in about Ju- July, or, sorry, not July, about November or October in all his clothes. We just baptized him in the Taupo Lake. And then, of course, it broke, and every staff member was getting baptized again. (laughs) Granted, most were not voluntary baptisms, but we took them all one by one, and in accordance with Scripture, they were immersed in water. Daniel ran to his car, locked the doors, drove off in a blaze of glory, and never came back. But we got him at the leaders meeting the next, the next year when we had our leaders summit in the life of our church. <laughs> the staff retreat is always filled with hilarious moments. Well, this year, it began with a lunch filled with Subway sandwiches. This is how it all began. We started with Subway sandwiches. Then it grew into throwing around on my back lawn, my new back lawn, my carefully manicured back lawn, my resurrected from the dead after the winter back lawn. If you know anything about me, I'm an avid gardener. I love my garden. And so my garden is finally starting to look beautiful as the spring begins to blossom it and shine upon it. It began with a sandwich. It grew to the throwing of a touch ball around the lawn. It generated into a game of touch rugby quickly 
accelerated into a game of, in, in brackets, walking rugby, and then kind of degenerated into a full-on brawl between the men of the Arise Church staff. Jeans were getting damaged. Shirts were being a little bit thrown around. Daniel took the, the game of, of, of refereeing. Alistair, uh, Ronnie Tan, a few who didn't want to lose their bodies, sat on the side and began to laugh. Some of the girls came outside. Men were screaming in injustice at various rules that were breaking. Dave Monk ruined one of my plants. <laughs> Broke a tree entirely. I'm sending him the bill. He's the finance manager. One of Jillian's favorite trees got a branch broken off it. Bruises were in hand. My back was sore for an entire week. My thumb is still sore. It was a hilarious moment. Then the kids turned up and we started to have dinner and the night is continuing and everybody's excited. This may have been a separate gathering. I'm a little hazy, but we got everybody together. It's just one big party without any alcohol, by the way, but we're just celebrating together with all of our church family. It's just a great moment of celebration when suddenly all the kids were together for a dinner. And as we're having dinner, I suddenly look around and realize that I cannot see my daughter, Lara. She's gone. I cannot see Tracy, uh, you know, Daniel and Rattini's daughter. I cannot see Nicole, their other daughter. And the three of these kids are just absent without leave. I start to search my house. I can't find them anywhere. I'm looking around. Where are you, Lara? Lara, where are you, Lara? I'm searching in all the usual places, in the toy cupboard, behind the couches, in the garage, you know, just anywhere I can find her. And then I notice that the upstairs door to the bathroom is shut. I go to open it, and it's locked. This immediately kind of gets your heart beating because you're thinking what's happening on the other side of this door. I say, Lara, are you in there? No reply, but I just hear this shh. <laughs> right, so you're not in there. Then Rattini starts looking for Tracy and Nicole and so she's there, are you in there, Tracy? Are you in there, Nicole? Answer me. And then we're doing the magic count that every parent believes is gonna get them an answer. One, <laughs> two, don't make me say it. Don't make me say it. Three. Shh. There's no answer. But on one side of the door, we've got three children locked in a bathroom. On the outside, we've got parents who want to get in. Finally, I think one of the kids might have opened the door. I'm pretty sure it was a T80 child who opened the door and let us in. My daughter, who is tired and you know what they're like and stubborn and determined, it's like, well, why were you so upset, Daddy? We were just having ourselves a little party here in the bathroom. Why did you have to ruin it? <laughs> am I the only parent whose child ever does that? I am. Okay. It's always the pastor's children. I look at Lara and I say, well, Lara, the thing about it that you've got to understand, and I found myself breaking it down. I said, Lara, you've got to understand that I have created an environment that you live in. This house has fences. This environment is protected. Even though you might be in a different part of this house, I know that if anything ever goes wrong, I can get to you. I designed your life so that you'd always be safe. When you get to school, I make sure that you're at school because that's a safe environment. I don't let you just wander everywhere. And what happens if you're on the other side of that door, and I'm doing the thing that parents do, where we dramatize the problem. You don't understand. If you run on the road, you could die. You could get crushed by a car. I'm telling you, the head's gonna look flat like that. 
right? It's like little road runner. Any parents ever done this? You're like, you've got to understand that the, the, the dogs are evil. You know, you just, you know, we talk it up. And this girl's daughter is a preacher. Father. This daughter's father is a preacher. So I'm telling her this is what's going on. And I said to her, Lara, if you were in the door with the, in the room with the door locked, I can help you. If you're choking, I can help you. If there's a problem, I can help you. If something goes wrong, I can help you. But if the door is locked, I can't get to you. And it made me realize that it's the same in life. In many different areas, there are doors in life that if they are shut, help could be available. Help could get to you. The change could come to your life. The Bible says the arm of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. In other words, God's able to do something amazing in our lives. He has the power to help. He has the power to save. He has the power to transport us out of difficulty. He cares about us always. He is a faithful father. He's a caring dad. He's never dreamed of harming you. He always wants to do you good. But if the door is shut, then God can't get to you. See, here we find in this passage of Scripture that the Bible says that although they knew God, in other words, this is a group of people who believe in God. They say, yeah, we believe in God. We know there's a God. We acknowledge that there is a God. That even though they knew about God, they believed in God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. In other words, they had a belief in Jesus, but they shut the door. And so God says, if you don't open the door and let me in, I've got all the power to help you. But if you shut me out, then you're going to live in the fruit of a life that is separated from God. That's dangerous. We weren't designed to live that way. It says that although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So there's an impact in our lives when we fail to open the door to God. The, the key that unlocks the door to God is thanksgiving. And when we shut the door, then God might be on one side and we're on the other side. But now we're going to live our lives without the intervention of God, the understanding of God. See, thanksgiving does more than unlock the door for God's help. It unlocks the door for God's realm. In our lives, what thanksgiving does is allow us to see circumstances, pressures, situations, opportunities, our lives, our environment, what is going on in our world, not just from a natural perspective, but from God's perspective. Thanksgiving brings Him in. So we stand on one side, God stands on the other side, and we're looking at our world, and the Bible says that if we shut the door, then the impact of that seen and observed in the Scripture is that thinking becomes futile and foolish hearts are darkened. Futility, darkness. Thinking becomes futile, foolish hearts are darkened. So when you're subject to futility, Futility, nothing I can do about it, no way out of it, no situation that can free me from it, locked into a box. Ever felt like that? Ever felt in prison? Ever felt like you just couldn't get free from it? Ever felt like there's nothing you can do about it? 
And the Bible says that whenever we feel that sentence over our lives, the key to breaking free from it is thanksgiving. See, I want you to understand that our God is light. Can somebody say yep to that? That our God is light and darkness has no place Yet the Bible says that people who believe in God but fail to thank God are sentenced to hearts that are bound by darkness. I don't think for a moment that it's saying that these people are somehow just, you know, ridiculous or whatever. It's speaking just to you and me and saying when we fail to thank God, then around us is darkness. If you put it this way, you would say God and created a world that was filled with light and life. But when we lose God, then we're sentenced to death and to darkness. Is this not true? Oh, I should give you a positive thing. Is this true? And when our lives are in darkness, it has an impact. Because now I'm living in this environment and God's over there. And, and, and in my box, in my door, in my room, I look at circumstances and pressure and situations and the problem's too great and the disease will kill me, and I've got no future, and I have no job, and there's difficulties abounding, and nobody understands, and the wife doesn't get me, the husband doesn't care about me, the kids aren't appreciative, the opportunities are not there in the, in the economy, we're looking for stuff to save us, we're blaming everybody else, we're living our lives just looking at it and saying it's all too hard, and if there's one thing God does not identify with, it is a victim. His son paid the ultimate price. Death for wrongdoing that somebody else had done. And people did it to him. And the reason why he did it was not to leave us as somebody who was paying the price for what somebody else has done either. But to I, empathize with where we are in the depths of our struggle. And then when we begin to acknowledge him, give us the power to rise above it. He transports victims into victors. He liberates people from the bondage that they feel around them. He, he sets us free from what has happened to us in our lives, in our past, what's happening to us in our present. He comes to us and He, come on, He opens the doors. He sets a life free. He came to give us liberty. He came to transport us out in capity. He came to set you free, capity. He came to do something amazing in our hearts and lives. But when we fail to acknowledge Him, we end up locked in and hemmed in to the darkness. So He says it's time to open the door. See, what happens when any person is in this environment, the Bible says there's something that can transport you out and it's called to be thankful. It's thanksgiving. I don't understand why this is happening, but I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that you saved me. Start somewhere. I thank you that you are God. I thank you that you're real. I thank you that they made the universe. I know these things to be true. I thank you for your word. I thank you. I thank you. I'm breathing today. I've got life. I, I, I've got cognitive thought. I, I've got something going on. I, I can look at me. I can move my legs. My fingers work. My eyes, I can see. Whatever you've got going on, you start there. But as you begin to thank God, something happens, not outside of you, but in you. And what happens is you open the door to Jesus. Because we may be sick, but He is healing. We may be struggling, but He is victorious. 
We may be impoverished, but He is prosperous. We may be, we may be in strife, but He is at peace. We may be anxious, but He is tranquil. Our God is the answer to every problem. He opens the doors. He sets people free. He loves people. He cares for people. He cares for me. He cares for you. Wow, somebody's excited about that in this place this morning. We are. Because the thing that takes you out is not a change of circumstance, but a, a willingness to open the door to God. It's called thanksgiving. Oh, man. So you've got to understand that when the world started, it's the same way that your world starts. Because people all over this room could be tempted and capity, could be tempted to think, but John, you don't know my darkness. Well, what I do know is that when the world began, it was shrouded in darkness, covered in darkness. Darkness ruled over the face of the waters until God spoke. And now that same God that said, let there be light, into light we came. See, in the dark, nothing prospers in the dark. Nothing grows. Love this time of year because I watch my plants. I'm one of those guys who just gets up every morning. I sit out in my porch. I was there at 6.30 yesterday preparing this sermon. That's why there's probably a lot of plant analogies in it. I'm on the outdoor table, the sun is shining, not a breath of wind, and I'm looking at my plants and they've got new growth and they're breaking the fence line. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Caroline, up there in Capity. I'm watching this growth. I'm watching this prosperity. And I realized that in the winter, when it's dark, the same plant's got nothing going on. And in our lives, in the darkness, you look at the same tree that's you with the wrong perspective. Think that you can't transcend this difficulty. Think you're never going to move beyond it. This is a permanent destination. I think oftentimes what happens when people get depressed, it's a disease often of the intelligent where the mind begins to run away on itself as scenarios are extrapolated out, but they're extrapolated out not through the lens of thanksgiving, but through the lens of just the darkness. Come on. It just gets bigger in your mind and you can't shut it off. I've been there where your mind begins to run away and you're just thinking, this is the end of me. It's all coming to, uh, to a halt. I'm gonna, the wheels are going to fall off. I'm never going to make it out of this. But then in the darkness, the Bible says God spoke and out of darkness there came light. And you've got to understand that we might begin in the darkness in some area of our minds, our lives, our circumstances, our environment, but God's given you a weapon and it's the weapon of thanksgiving. And as we begin to praise Him, something happens in our world, in the environment, in the room of our mind. The lights come on and we realize, hang on a minute, I might be feeling close to the grave, but Jesus defeated the grave. I might be feeling sick, but He died. I might be feeling impoverished, but He bore it so that I could make a way through. I might feel like my life is coming. But I thank You, God. You're bigger than the world. You're bigger than my circumstances. You're bigger than the situation. You're bigger than my pressure. You, you hold the heavens in Your hands. You threw the stars into the universe just to adorn the sky. You are great. You are glorious. You are powerful. You are loving. You are compassionate. You are kind. And I thank You. I Thank. You. 
And as we begin to thank him, it's like something begins to happen. It's like light bulbs begin to go on. And the fluoros go and come to solid. And the LED lights just slowly turn on. But in our world, God begins to shine into who we are. So guys, God's looking at us and saying the key that unlocks the door is thanksgiving. So I want you to understand that thanksgiving is in the Bible from beginning all the way through to the end. The psalmist, give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks in all, all things. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. You find it all the way through the Bible, Jesus gave thanks. Faced with impossible situations, Jesus began with looking at what he had and secondly, a thanksgiving prayer, always. Runs out of food, he's got one schoolboy's lunch, 5,000 men plus women plus children. Total attendance, probably 11 to 13,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Problem, thanks. I want you to understand that God's formula is following every problem. We've got to work out the depth of the problem and then we've got to give God some thanks. We've got to thank Him, thank Him, thank Him. I got this, it's all I got, but I thank you. And the moment he thanked God, he opened the door and God stepped into that environment and one boy's school lunch fed 5,000 men plus women plus children and everybody ate and there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I love it because he gives to every disciple a basket and says, you might feel like a basket case, thinking, how am I going to take one schoolboy's lunch and feed 5,000 people? Now let this turn you into a proper basket case. Take it round and collect up everything that's left. And they all filled up a basket when they started with a morsel. And God says, when you open the door through Thanksgiving, I can exceed your wildest expectations. Lazarus. Lazarus dies. I think I preached about Lazarus last week, but I left something out. Lazarus dies. He's in the grave for three days in a tomb. The Bible says that Jesus says, roll away the tomb. And I preached on this last week that Martha said he stinks. And Jesus said, well, roll it away. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the power of God? I left something out. I said, he spoke and said, Lazarus, come forth. He did one thing first. He said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Lazarus, come forth. Oh man, when the power of that begins to grip your life, it changes the way you think, the way you pray, the way you expect, the way you look at life. You realize that the power to bring dead things back to life again is in the power of your thanksgiving. God's looking for somebody who's gonna say it's dead and the tomb's been shut for three days, but I'm rolling away the stone. I'm giving you glory and thanks and honor in advance because you can bring a dead dream back to life again, a dead marriage back to life again, a dead business back to life again. You can bring my hopes alive, my dreams alive, my physical body alive. I don't even feel like it, but I thank you. In spite of it, I thank you. In the face of it, I thank you. In, in, in the midst of it, I thank you. Come on, Cappity, give God some thanks this morning. Something happens, my friends, when you and I begin to give God thanks. It changes things. God's looking for people who are going to give Him thanks always. And a kid's saying, amen, man. 
What's next? The chair beneath you? Take your shot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Give that kid a big clap. That's a literal amen right there. Cavity, a child just said amen. I could hear it. Maybe it was from Cavity. There's lots of kids up there. God's just looking for people who are going to say thanks. A verse is coming up on the screen this morning, and it's 1 Thessalonians. I think it's chapter 4, verse 15. Where the Bible talks about God's will for us, it says, give thanks. Next three words are so powerful. You've got to hear them again. You've read this verse before, heard it before, hear it again. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What kind of God is that? That's where you could think, isn't it? But God... I've just had everything in my life go wrong. And God says, yep, now give me thanks. What? Can I cry on your shoulder? Yes, you can. But give me thanks. Why? Because you've got to understand that the world that God lives in is the world of light. The devil lives in darkness. And what the devil wants to do is to keep us in the dark. So God says, no matter what happens to you, this might have happened to you, but don't let the darkness rule you. So open the door by giving me thanks. You don't feel like it. You might be faking it till you make it, but give me thanks. Give me thanks. Give me thanks. Give me thanks. I've stood in prayer meetings with people facing medical sentences over their life that were nothing but terminal and felt God speak into my heart and say, it's time to give God thanks. This might look like it's going south, but we're going to give God thanks. We're going to thank God for this baby. We're going to thank God for this healing. We're going to thank God for this miracle. We're going to thank God that He's bigger. We're going to thank Him for who He is. We're going to declare His greatness. We're going to declare His powerful. It doesn't just say in most circumstances. Come on, and as we begin to thank God over unborn children, over people with cancer, over desperate situations, man, we've seen God turn things around time after time after time after time after time after time because He is a God that when you bring Him in, He's got the power to change. And all He says is, give me thanks. Give Him thanks. In all circumstances, it's God's will for you. It opens the door. It brings you into the room of light. You start to see things differently, feel differently, expect differently, project differently. When you're in the light, it changes everything. I was going to read it out, but in Acts chapter 26, I believe it is, it might come up on the screen behind me, is an amazing passage of Scripture where Paul and Silas set this girl free from a demonic power. And the Bible says that there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison that they were in uh, were shaken. We started reading quite late, but it's good. At all at once, it says the prison, we've gone too far, we need to go back up, back up, back up. Verse 22, there we go. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Next verse, after they have been severely flogged, underline it, 
severely flogged. They were thrown in prison. Glad I've got no bald spot. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were weeping and moaning and wailing and groaning and blaming the government and the magistrates and the powers of the air and circumstances. No, what, what were they doing again? Oh, that's right. They were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains fell loose. Can you put yourself into the story? All you did was help a girl demon possessed. She's literally controlled by a spirit that her masters, she's a slave in the natural and a slave in the realm of the spiritual. A slave to a demonic spirit that is causing her to prophesy out of the demonic realm. And she's following Paul and Silas around and just saying, these men are servants of the most holy God. What's happening is the demon is speaking, but the girl is crying out. And Paul and Silas eventually get so mad at the demon. They're like, this is it. This might create an uproar, but doing right is always right. So they speak to the demon, say, come out of the girl. The Bible says that the owners of the girl are so upset that they send the whole town into an uproar. Paul and Silas are taken and they are beaten with rods and then severely flogged. 39 times with a cat nine tails, one of those ones that takes a little bit of flesh out of your back every time it goes across it. it wasn't the first time, by the way, for Paul. He gets whipped across the back. He's stuck not just in prison, but in the inner prison with stocks on his feet, no way of escape, knowing that his death is probably coming in the morning. And in the middle of it all, in the midnight hour. See, in the midnight hour, it's just equal distance between the last ray of light and the first ray of light. In the middle of the greatest impossibility, in the middle of it all, in the hurt, I didn't do anything wrong. All I've done is help people. Why did they do this to me? In the pain, my body is racked. I have no grief. There's no Panadol. Would somebody give me at least a Panadol? If not a Nurofen, hopefully a Tramadol. Somebody line me up to some morphine here. I'll take anything, all of it. I mean, they're, 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 they're you know, their backs flogged. They've been beaten, bruised eyes, swollen lips, busted noses. Sitting down. How amazing though that the Bible says that these guys refused to write, refused to, to let their lives be defined by the darkness. I don't know. Swollen lip. If I give you praise, Jesus. If I give you praise, Jesus. I come Silas busted nose. I give you praise, Jesus. Give me a prize, Come on, man. These, these two boys, they're just like, the darkness doesn't rule me. The darkness comes around me. The darkness confronts me. But the darkness doesn't get into me. It doesn't dominate me. It can't have me. 
in the middle of it all, I'm giving thanks to Jesus. You can't shut me in the darkness. I'm in the light. I'm a child of light. I'm a son of the light. I'm a daughter of the light. Darkness has no place in my life. I give you praise. I thank you, Jesus. I honour you, God. I magnify you, worship you, praise you. Though they slay me, yet will I praise Him. These men refuse to let the darkness get in them. I reckon somebody in this room is deciding this morning to never let the darkness get you. Don't let the pressure rule you. Don't let the circumstances hurt you. Give thanks. Whatever's hurting you, give thanks to God in the middle of it. If the marriage isn't working, thank God for everything in the marriage. If the children aren't right, thank God for it. Thank God for healing. Thank God for miracles. Thank Him in advance. Fake it till you make it. I thank you, God. I've got it tomorrow. I'm getting out of this situation. I'm not gonna live here forever. I will not be defeated. I will not be overcome. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. It's a decision. It's a willpower. It's a weapon. It opens the doors. It sets lives free. I'm not just preaching your hype. I'm preaching you free this morning. It'll take you out. God can liberate any person who is willing to give Him thanks. It's our choice. It's God's will. It's also our choice. The band can come and join me. How's Job? I preach on Job so often. Because I just can't figure the dude out. He's just remarkable. I mean, what a nutcase. Not nutcase. You know what I found? I, I mix with some fairly successful people sometimes in, in my job. And they can be the most unusual people. Slightly weird, if you know what I mean. I think if you met Job, he would be in that category. Because in a single day, the most prosperous man in the world loses his house, his children's houses, his livestock, that's his business, his herds, his, his um, harvest, all his crops, his children, his health, he's covered in boils. He's got nothing but a moaning wife. <laughs> At least if you're going through all that, you want a wife like my wife, you know what I'm saying? You want someone who's happy and encouraging and positive. But she's like, just curse God and die. <laughs> that sounds good right now. Just curse God and die. But this salty old dog, this weird, prosperous soul, just goes, you're not having a bar of that. And he just gets down on his knees. He lifts his hands to heaven. I came into this world naked. I'm going to leave it naked. Everything else was just a gift and joy along the way. The Lord gave. The Lord take away. But may the name of the Lord be praised. And that's what messed Job's friends up. That the darkness was all around him, but it didn't get in him. Mess your friends up. Mess them up. 
when we had a, when we discovered that we were living in a leaky home, and on a, on a home that we bought with our first home buyer's deposit, we got a bill for two hundred eighty thousand dollars to fix it. I shook uncontrollably. My stomach was doing that thing where it just, just, just quivers. You ever had that? Panic, fear, so big. I was afraid. I wish I could tell you that I preached the sermon to myself, but I didn't. And it took me weeks. It probably took me about six. Before I stood in a lounge room, and from my heart, I mean, I said it the first night, but it was probably about six before I really meant it. I give you thanks. I give you thanks. I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this, but I give you thanks. The house that we were living in was actually made up of two houses, really. It was two big cylinders, double story, and in the middle had a glass atrium. It's just a three-bedroom townhouse, so it had a kitchen, a little kind of dining area, a lounge, two bedrooms, master bedroom, just two up, two down like that, and a staircase up the middle with a glass atrium. I always pray in the lounge room. So I was praying in the lounge room, and every night I'd be like, I thank you, God. I thank you, God, you'd said you'd rebuke the devourer. I thank you, God, that you'll make a way. I thank you, God. Sometimes I was praying all, half a night. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. It wasn't, I wasn't doing a smile on my voice, on my face. That's for you. But I was like, I thank you, God. <laughs> I thank you, God. You know what was amazing? When they ripped all the cladding off my house to fix it, you could see where the damage was. And it wasn't until recently that it dawned on me that the half of the, pra- of the house that I prayed in, so one out of the two houses, the half that I prayed in had not a single piece of mold in it. 100% of the damage was on the other side. I don't know, coincidence? I reckon what sets you free what sets me free, what breaks the things that destroy you from you, what opens prison cells and liberates lives is thanksgiving. Bow your heads with me all across this room in Capity. Bow your heads in a moment of prayer. Right now, every person that can hear my voice needs to thank God. You need to thank God for what He's done for you. Thank God for what He can do for you. Thank God for who He is. Thank God for His promises. Thank God for His faithfulness. Thank Him for His mercy, for His love, for His peace that passes all understanding. In fact, let's read it in our minds while your eyes are closed. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayers and requests, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Come and pray with a heart of thanksgiving. Tell God what you need. And then from the Message Bible, no, actually from the NIV, And the peace of God, 
that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind and your thoughts in Christ Jesus from the message. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. That's thanksgiving. So we give you thanks.